the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thursday, May the 7th, and it's the National Day of Prayer. Welcome once again to this edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts keeping you company throughout the course of the next two hours as we address issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Speaking of your Christian walk, later on in tonight's program, we're going to be joined by best-selling author Pierce Brantley. If you have lost your job or seen a major modification to your job, as many of us have in the last uh, six weeks to two months, then perhaps a reawakening of how to live out your calling during COVID-19 might be in order. We're going to talk about just that when author Pierce Brantley joins us later on in tonight's program. Pat Shen will drop by in the 6 o'clock hour to talk about the National Day of Prayer, and we're going to have a number of pastors join us later on in the program as well to lead us in a time of prayer. And on this um, National Day of Prayer Day, it's certainly a first for me when we're Accustomed to going to prayer breakfast, gatherings around a flagpole, city hall meetings, gatherings at church at night, and now we're doing it all virtually. And while perhaps not gathering physically, um, you know, I think it's important we be reminded that reaching the throne of grace can be had from anywhere, at any time, for any reason. The good news is that God's line, so to speak, is always open. You'll never get a busy signal or told your call won't go through or that it might not perhaps be answered in the fashion that you want. But at the end of the day, God still answers prayer. And I suppose maybe as we think on this National Day of Prayer in light of all that's going on, the question is, can we accept God answering prayer by saying no? And what would you pray for if you knew and saw all that God knows and sees? Leading us off tonight to talk about how we recover spiritually from an event like this, and most importantly, ways in which we can and should be praying for our leadership, our state, and our nation. Always an honor and privilege to have Bishop Bob Jackson, senior founder, pastor of Axeful Gospel Church in Oakland, join us on the program. And uh, Pastor Bob, as always, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Craig. I, I just praise the Lord for this opportunity uh, to talk with you about prayer on this National Day of Prayer. Amen. A, a, amen. And a, and a blessing, Pastor, to have you lead things off tonight. And, and I think most importantly, help put things in perspective. We had a chance to talk at length at kind of the leading edge of this experience when things were just shutting down. Now we're at the leading edge of things just beginning to back uh, open back up again. We remain entirely uncertain <coughs> as to what the financial future, what the health future 
may look like. But I guess at the end of the day, the most important thing to be mindful of is that no matter what happens, God is still in control, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. He says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein. And so I praise God for that. It may look as though that he's not around and uh, he's not uh, aware of what's going on uh, in the world today. But I guarantee you, he's very much aware. And uh, I just think these things are happening because God is trying to get our attention, and uh, especially the attention of the church. Spend a moment, if you would. You have thousands of people from all walks of life all across Northern California listening to your voice right now. And I think it's so critically important, Bishop Bob, that we hear from God, and we need to be listening to God. And and we've spent perhaps a lot of time talking to God over the course of the last many weeks. Um, put some perspective. Share what's on your heart, if you would, um, where your heart beats the most at this time, at this juncture in history, on this National Day of Prayer. Thank you. Uh, yes, I, I've been in prayer concerning it and have been fasting and praying and seeking the Lord as to what's going on. And I do believe it's a wake-up call, the corona virus and all that you see that's happening all over the world, and uh, like never before. I mean, I'm 74, and I've never seen anything like this uh, in my lifetime. Uh, And so I just know that God has a purpose for everything that goes on. And I'm not saying that he's he's causing the coronavirus, but I'm saying he's very much aware uh, and allowing it. I say it that way. But when you look at 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and we've talked about this for a number of years. I think it's so apropos at this time. And you read what God says. He says, if my people, Craig, he says, if my people. He's not talking about sinners. He's not talking about people that are in the world. He's talking about his people. And that would be the church to me today, because we are the church, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if my people, the church, which are called by my name, and that's the name of Jesus, I believe. That's the name he's given us. And he says, shall humble themselves and pray. And that humility there involved there is, this is a time where being humble is what we really need to do because no one knows what to do. No one knows uh, how to defeat this coronavirus. No one has a cure, and it's just all over the place. And so he says, if you would humble yourselves, watch this, and pray. And then he says, and seek my face, I love that, and seek my face, he said, and turn from their wicked ways. And Craig, I just believe that the church has let down on a lot of the things that God told us to be up on. And the first thing is sin. And I believe the sin has entered the church, and the people that are in charge, a lot of them in the church, have come from all persuasions, shall I say, and they're not really serving the Lord anymore. The church, for the most part, is just away from God, away from the obedience of God's Word, away from humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And I think this coronavirus has given all of the church an opportunity to come before the Lord with repentance and ask Him to forgive us. And as He says, when He says, turn from our wicked ways, to me, he's saying that the church has gone off on its own tangent, and it's gone away from holiness. It's gone away from sanctification. It's gone away from salvation. And now the church has become like a giant club across the country with no power, no anointing, 
can't cast out devils, can't lay hands on the sick, can't rebuke this coronavirus and take authority over it, and there's no voices out there saying anything as for pulling the church together. The denominations are fighting against each other as usual, and God wants us to come together as the body. Listen, it's only one Lord Jesus that died on that cross. It's only one Lord Jesus that was buried, and on the third day, only one Lord Jesus rose from the dead. And when he ascended back into heaven, Greg, he sent back his spirit, the Holy Ghost, for his church to be empowered with power from on high, that we would be representatives and ambassadors of the kingdom of God in this earth on today. So when he asks us, when he tells us to humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, he says something He said something arresting. He said, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Glory to God. And I just think repentance is in order. And if I could get all of the leaders around the country, around the world, to just call for repentance for all of the churches, all of the denominations. I think there's about 323 different denominations all talking about the Lord Jesus, but can't get along with one another. Can we come together and be one and repent before God that we haven't been obedient to his word? We haven't done the things he told us to do. And then the second thing is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, and and verses 19 and 20, when the Lord talks about the prayer of agreement. And I think it's so powerful. He says in the 19th verse of the 18th chapter of Matthew, he says, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Craig, that's all the power we need. That's all the anointing we need to defeat this corona demon, bring the church back into perspective according to the Word of God and all of the church. There's a testimony I'm believing, God, that the church will come to, and that is we're saved by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and his death on that cross, and we're sanctified. We've given up the addictions. We've given up the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and we have become holy in the sight of God. God said in his word, be ye holy, for I am holy, said the Lord. And he said, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So I believe God is getting the church prepared for the rapture, because the end of time is coming. But before the end can come, the church will be raptured, because God is going to withdraw his Holy Spirit from this earth. And I believe this coronavirus is a wake-up call for the church to repent Come back to God, humble ourselves, go back to the apostles' doctrine, and be saved, be sanctified, and be filled with the precious Holy Ghost. In Jesus' this name. This is such a amen. This is this is such a critical juncture, and um, that notion of such a time as this. Um, you know, we need to be studiers of the Word. We also have to recognize too that. Um, how can they hear unless they have a preacher? They have to have someone to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And that, of course, is the job left to the church. Bishop Bob Jackson, senior pastor, founder of Axel Gospel Church in Oldland. Bishop Bob, we appreciate you being with us and leading things off here on this National Day of Prayer. We'll take a brief time out. We'll have more to come here on the Thursday, May 7th edition of Lifeline. Right now, we move on to a look at traffic.
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Opening up of America, of course, is on the minds of all of us. And as much as we want to be cautious in the manner and fashion and speed and rate at which we we do so, um, certainly there are proper and appropriate steps that you can and should be taking to make sure that all of that happens. Let's um, get a look at this important topic. I lead off with Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. And uh, Brad, I guess the big question is, here in the state of California, um, in a nutshell, what are the rules and how can and should churches begin to prepare to transition from what has largely been either no in-person services at all and doing things virtually or maybe even closed down altogether? How do we go about making this transition carefully and most importantly, safely for those in our congregations who are the most vulnerable? Oh, certainly. Well, we at the Pacific Justice Institute have put a lot of work uh, into a checklist for the three different kinds of services that people can have uh, on site. First are the drive-in services. Uh, Craig, these are legal. Uh, all in, in all 50 states, for every church, drive-in services are legal, including California. Uh, the legal counsel for the state of California has acknowledged that actually in court. So that. They can do that, and we at Pacific Justice, if there's any rogue uh, community or city or county that says differently, uh, they should uh, you should contact us immediately. The church should contact us. The other checklist is for outdoor services. Uh, these are actually, um, if, if you have enough space for them and it's logistical, uh, these are actually make a lot of sense. Now, um, they technically would violate uh, the law by uh, the pronouncements, uh, the, the order by, by Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, that said, some communities are not enforcing that, and uh, and also there is uh, additional constitutional arguments to protect it, uh, outdoor services, because of the fact that uh, protesters, uh, think of the mile parades, those have all been allowed with law enforcement just having no problem and allowing that. Um, it's difficult for the government, I think, constitutionally to argue that outdoor services with even more protections and safety measures shouldn't be afforded the same opportunity. Uh, but that's, that's, once again, a constitutional question. It still technically violates the, the governor's order, and you need to look to see what your local government will do, uh, your local county or, or, or local law enforcement will do, and whether or not that will work for them. We can, I, we can uh, help them along those way with our checklist. And then uh, for indoor services, there's even some places in California, even though it's against the, the governor's order, that, uh, that are not enforcing that order, that are allowing indoor church services uh, in uh, some parts of California, uh, mostly in the Central Valley and far northern California, uh, where uh, like in Kern County and, and, and northward. But uh, this is something that I think also they could utilize our checklist for. And we know that there's going to be hundreds and probably up to maybe 2,000 churches possibly opening on May 31st. I strongly encourage uh, churches to, uh, you know, assess the risk of uh, and ramifications. It, it will probably still be against the law at that point, uh, but the uh, ramifications may be very different depending on where the church is located and uh, and the attitude of law enforcement and, and tolerance for them to allow churches to meet uh, with the safety checklist being implemented and being provided beforehand uh, to law enforcement. 
And certainly, as we've seen historically, uh, population density, location, there are a number of factors that play into uh, what constitutes a, a, a safe and sane reopening. Uh, certainly here in California, um, there has been talk about uh, moving houses of worship onto the, the open stage at some point here. Um, and I want to get a look at that. We're joined now by California State Leader Shannon Grove. She, of course, represents um, the greater Bakersfield arena. And um, so much, uh, Senator, appreciate you taking time to be with us today. Give us a bit of a look, if you would. Um, we know that certainly, as we've just mentioned here with um, uh, Brad Dacus, that this has been sort of rolling out in stages. Um, I understand now that you have delivered a letter to the governor urging him to do all that he can to allow houses of worship across the state to reopen as part of California's Stage 2. Tell us more about that. Thank you very much, and thank you for the opportunity to be on the show and just share my heart and what we are doing to make sure that houses of worship are moved to early stages of Stage 2. When you look at the rollout that the governor uh, put together with his resilience roadmap, He has left houses of worship in stage three, but he's allowing schools and gatherings of large numbers of individuals included in stage two. So it doesn't make any sense that you would allow schools to operate and other uh, secular organizations or secular um, facilities to be able to open and um, while maintaining social distances and CDC guidelines and things like that, but not the church. And what's really, I think, frustrating and where my heart is troubled is that He's not even giving the church an option. So churches are protected under the First Amendment, and um, like Mr. Dacus said, but also churches aren't even given the option. So even if churches put forth a plan like the churches in our community that said, look, we'll have one entrance and exit, we'll do temperature checks, we'll wear masks, we'll do social distancing, we will um, you know, sanitize the sanctuary uh, after each service, um, and then do multiple services, We'll hold outside services if we can't, um, you know, get people inside. Um, we have separate campuses if they are large church. They weren't even given the option to be able to adhere to um, to, the, to the guidelines in order to operate as a as a as a church as a faith organization, and that's the frustrating piece for me, I think. And I think that on another note. When you look at where we are in the world today and you look at where we are here in California with isolation, um, higher rates of domestic violence, depression, alcoholism, uh, loss of life, um, people need the church. I mean, I have a personal testimony that, you know, the Lord rescued me when I was 21 years old. And believe me, you can do a lot of things in the world before you're 21. And I needed my church family in order to make it through that part of my life. And I know with everything going on in the state of California and the nation of the world today, we need our church and our faith community, and we need fellowship, and we can operate safely. There's not a pastor that I've spoken to across this state does not want to make sure that he, he or she protects the health and safety of their congregants. But we should be, as the faith community, as the church, we should be included in the governor's stage two proposal and not sit um, in stage three with arenas and um, multi-thousand-person you know, events. We can do this, and, but the frustrating piece is he didn't even give us an option. Brad Dacus, are you still with us? 
Uh, he, he might have dropped off the line. I was going to ask him a question pertaining to the, the constitutionality of all this, because uh, as, as you aptly point out, uh, Senator Grove, the, the notion that you could say, well, schools can gather again, but the adults in a church setting who hopefully can follow instructions, wash their hands, you know, engage in all of the necessary steps that we would expect to do in a time of the, the COVID-19 virus, that, that all of that would be available. And, and to suggest that students at school can gather and yet adults at a church can't seems to have a, a very suspicious and uh, constitutionally lacking ring to it. You know, you're absolutely right. When you look at you know, the, the governor's explanation or the staff's explanation to me was that, you know, Miss Grove, you sit in a church for an hour. It's not like Lowe's or, or Home Depot or Costco or Walmart or Target where you walk through and continue walking. You're actually sitting in a facility, but they're opening uh, restaurants for in-room dining. Um, again, they're going to have to modify the way they operate, just like a church would have to modify the way they operate. But when you look at in, uh, the way that other industries in the secular community are allowed to operate and even put forth a plan for social distancing and complying with CDC guidelines to keep the community safe, the church is not. And the church really is 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 um, the only, if not the only, uh, industry organization that is protected under the First Amendment. Um, so it's, I mean, adamantly a, a protected under the First Amendment. And so to restrict that right in the church and for the governor not to allow that to happen is completely unconstitutional and it is not right. And I can't tell people what to do, but I can tell people, I can tell a church and a faith community that there are a group of legislators up there fighting to make sure that you guys get in the stage two opening. Because if you can have children go to school eight, six, six or eight hours, you know, six hours a day plus the afternoon daycare, um, Every day of the week, but most people would go to church on Sunday or, you know, Sunday morning or Tuesday after Tuesday night for prayer or Wednesday night for Wednesday night service, midweek services. Your exposure at the houses of faith are are minimal compared to the exposure of the daily activity of a six or eight hour school day or a six or eight hour daycare day or a six or eight hour work day. Um, so the exposure is minimal. And churches have a, you know, the faith community has um, the ability, I mean, we need God in this situation. We need God in every part of our lives and in our situation, but we need the Lord, particularly in this situation, to deal with the aftermath of the social impacts of the governor's stay-at-home order. Um, and we need uh, the church yeah. to engage. Absolutely, undoubtedly so, and, and not only in terms of, of, of helping to bring, as you suggested in your opening remarks, comfort and encouragement uh, to a community that, that is equally as concerned and impacted by this as anyone else, but again, looking at some of the the lack of parity across the board. I mean, how with a straight face can you say schools, children can gather, but a church can't? Um, and yet you're, you're, you're saying all of this under the guise of wanting to protect people. There seems to be something that is sorely lacking here, and we are encouraged to know that we do have some members of the California State Legislature that are looking out on behalf of people of faith across the state. Our thanks to California State Senator Shannon Grove for being with us today and uh, doing the good job that you're doing there in Sacramento. Again, um, she, along with Senator Mike Morrell, um, Rancho Cucamonga, have um, delivered a letter to Governor Newsom's office urging him to allow churches, houses of worship, to reopen as part of California's Stage 2 reopening process. Information available 
on the web, california.senate.gov. Also, if you're running into issues and you are concerned that um, your church's constitutional rights are somehow being violated under the guise of all this, feel free to reach out to the Pacific Justice Institute online at pacificjustice.org. All right, at 532, let's get you an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The coronavirus outbreak certainly has had a significant impact on many populations. You may be listening right now, dealing with a recent loss of employment. Certainly one of the most hardest hit communities has been seniors across the country. Not only have we seen a major uptick in coronavirus cases and deaths at many retirement centers and nursing homes across America, but along with it, the financial impact. If a senior citizen had extreme exposure, maybe inappropriate levels, but nevertheless, levels of exposure to the equity markets, the events of the last six weeks to two months have undoubtedly been extremely painful up to and including the potentiality of creating some financial hardship at a time where we're facing unprecedented levels of public indebtedness, um, approaching $25 trillion. Hard to believe when Ronald Reagan took over As president in uh, 1981, the federal debt was in the upper billions, not even $1 trillion yet. And then yet in 40 years, look how far we've gone or perhaps how far down we've gone. How do we go about taking necessary steps to help seniors in our families protect themselves? Well, Chris Oratis is joining us now. He is the president of Life Care Exchange. And Chris, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. And, you know, it's an important time for us to all be talking about what's going on. It, it is indeed. And, you know, in particular, we think of those that are the most vulnerable across the spectrum. And while we're still trying to understand um, who gets impacted by this disease, and, and certainly people with pre-existing conditions are, are highly vulnerable, but then too are our seniors. And I don't know that the total tally is in. I don't know that I would believe it. Once it arrives, it'll probably be significantly more than what it actually is. But we've seen such utter devastation amongst seniors in America And boy, as we see baby boomers continue to uh, hit retirement age and that that number continues to grow, um, what kind of a long-term impact would you anticipate, Chris, this having on the comfort level, the lifestyle quality of seniors in light of all that's going on economically behind this? You know, it it is going to have a big impact on the lifestyle for seniors, their loved ones, uh, from 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 a quality of life factor, from from being vigilant about their health and their finances. You know, I mean, as we sit here today, we are seeing parts of the country beginning to open back up. Uh, you know, we're trying to balance the the health concerns and the economic concerns of this country and of, and of everybody who lives here. So, for seniors in particular, what, I, what one thing that we are advising is, even as things are opening up, if if you're in that vulnerable class, you're a senior or you have underlying conditions, I would operate with great caution and, and, and not be in a rush to run out to restaurants, bars, uh, hairdressers, the mall, 
Uh, I would continue to practice social distancing, look to stay at home as much as possible still. And if you are going to go out, if you are going to interact with other people, uh, I think using use of a mask, gloves, and, and then disinfectant hygiene uh, after any kind of interaction is still important. I wouldn't take it that, uh, you know, it's, it's back to normal. I think it's going to be quite some time, if ever, if we can consider ourselves back to normal. So in the end of the day, I think we're, we're suggesting that we need to make a very necessary differentiation between what may be legal versus what may be acceptable or, or practical. It may be legal, in other words, to, to go and have um, lunch at a restaurant or go have your hair done at a beauty salon. But if you are in a vulnerable class, and certainly seniors find themselves there, it may not be practical to do it. It really wouldn't be at this point. I'd hold back a, a bit longer, uh, uh, maybe maybe quite a bit longer, to to make sure that the environment is as safe as possible, and then to and then even when you go out to continue to operate with safe practices, and that that goes for for seniors who are still living at home. And then there's you know there's that population of seniors and, and the families that are impacted by those that are living in nursing homes and and being cognizant of what's going on in that environment. We talk about the health impact, to be sure. Let's spend a moment talking about the financial impact of all of this. As I alluded to, there may be some out there that had some exposure to the equity markets that are paying a price. We're also no doubt going to see seniors become bigger targets for scams because they're scared. They may not have um, a sense of uh, um, what's legitimate versus what isn't legitimate. What are some of the warnings that you can extend in that arena? Yeah, when it comes to finance, I'd say if, if you do have exposure to the stock market as a senior, I wouldn't panic sell. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at today and, and dump out and lock in losses. But if you're not exposed to, to the stock market, if you do have money, I also wouldn't look at this as a buying opportunity either. I wouldn't jump in and think, you know, now's the time to get into the market. I, I say if you're out of the market, I'd stay out of it right now. And if you're in the market, I wouldn't panic sell, and I'd stay in it and not lock in those losses. Now, remember, for so many seniors, they're, they're living with fixed income, Social Security. They have Medicare, uh, oftentimes Medicaid benefits. So remember, those benefits haven't changed. You're not going to see a drop-off in those payments and in what you're receiving for, for health care when it comes to Medicare, Medicaid, and your income from Social Security. In fact, if you're on Social Security, you will be entitled to receive uh, stimulus money, uh, and many seniors have started to receive that already. Knowing that be the case, uh, certainly a lot of scam artists will attempt to try to take advantage of that, thinking that seniors that otherwise may literally live month-to-month, paycheck-to-paycheck, are all of a sudden flush, quote-unquote, with cash or at least an extra 1200 bucks lying around. How would you advise seniors to protect themselves? Yeah, you've, got, you've really got to watch out for there, There's a variety of scams that are working their way in the market right now. Among them are those that are selling false cures, false treatments, uh, faulty tests, uh, you know, personal protective equipment like masks that never show up. Uh, people are taking orders and, and, and literally stealing that money and never delivering anything or what they're delivering is useless. You should also be aware of online scams. There's scammers out there that are posing as the CDC and other government agencies with information and asking you to click on to, to get more information. 
telling you where, where there's a list of, of people who have been uh, tested positive in your area. And what they're trying to do is, is invade your computer, get your personal information. So you've got to watch out for phishing scams. Watch out for fake charities that are raising money. A good resource, if you're worried that you, that you are possibly being taken advantage of in that way, or you've encountered something that you want to report, is the Federal Trade Commission's website, ftc.gov is an excellent resource to, to, to find out about what kind of scams are out there. They constantly put up bulletins, warnings for people to be able to look at, and, and it's a resource also to be able to report scammers if you've come across something. Let's talk worst-case scenario. A, a senior suddenly finds themselves in a significant cash crunch, and who knows what the source of that might be. Um, are there options? Are there safety nets available to them? Um, and again, along with your very on-the-mark scam warning, Chris, do they need to be cautious about things like somebody that comes along and suddenly offers them a quote-unquote a line of credit or um, you know wants to, wants to go in and do a reverse mortgage deal or something of that sort? Certainly under the right sets of circumstances, those can be very useful tools, but how do we differentiate? Yeah, there, there are actually good opportunities for seniors in particular to use a couple of their key assets to access liquidity. And, and reverse mortgages is one option where you could actually, through a, a, F, um, a HUD-approved uh, reverse mortgage provider, access a line of credit on your house, which if you're using a reverse mortgage line of credit, it, you can draw down on it as needed, you're, you're, and you don't need to pay anything back on it. As long as you're living in the house, there's there's no payments, and, and you don't have to do any repayment until you would be out of the house, which then usually is repaid through the sale of the house. Another option uh, using an asset that many seniors own is uh, working with their life insurance. And, and if they still have life insurance policies, some seniors at this point are thinking, should I make premium payments or should we let go of this policy? Does it make sense to keep it any longer? And, and one thing seniors should know is they have an outlet for life insurance policies with something that's called a life settlement, where they can actually sell off the life insurance policy uh, while they're alive and get a percentage of the death benefit today, which is their money as a lump sum to use as they want and not have to make any more premium payments. But you want to make sure when you're encountering those opportunities with the assets that you own, that you make that you know that these are, are, are reputable providers of either reverse mortgage or life settlement services, and you can look those companies up. Uh, life settlement providers are regulated at the state level. Reverse mortgage companies are regulated at the federal level, and you can look up those companies, see that they're licensed. Uh, you can look at Better Business Bureau listings to see if there's complaints against anybody that might be reaching out to you to, to help you with any kind of financial services. And certainly the old adage, um, second opinions are always good, and if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Chris Ortiz, president of Life Care Exchange. Information available on the web, by the way, at retirementgenius.com. That's retirementgenius.com. Chris, thanks so much for the time. 5.48, speaking of time, we're a little late here, so let's get you caught up quick on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
A reminder that uh, Pat Chen is going to be joining us in the 6 o'clock hour, and then a number of Bay Area pastors will also um, be in the conversation and lead us in some way time of prayer on this National Day of Prayer. As we struggle to try and make sense of this all, find our new place, a lot of us are fortunate still have jobs. Many of us are unfortunate to not have jobs and maybe seeking new direction, career changes. Perhaps at the end of the day, the most important thing, and we differentiate, and I think necessarily so, between a job and a calling. And maybe during this global pandemic, as we're all engaged in sort of reevaluating, taking inventory of our lives, hopefully focusing more on the things that really count, that really matter, how does one go about not only ascertaining calling, but then living out that calling in the day and age of COVID-19, when maybe a lot of what you normally do, like engaging in, in some, you know, one-on-one with clients and things of that sort has all suddenly been cut short. Well, to give us some insights, Pierce Brantley joins us. He's the author of a brand new book called Calling, Awaken to the Purpose of Your Work, newly released by David Cook Publishing. And uh, Pierce, thanks so much for being with us. Boy, if people struggle with the idea of finding their calling, now we've added to that list people that know what their calling is and are struggling to figure out how they go about carrying out that calling in the day of COVID-19. Well, Craig, it's a pleasure to speak with you and to the great folks in the in the Bay Area. And you couldn't set up any better uh, yourself. You know, I think calling is one of those things that's always been kind of hard to navigate. Now you add on to this the struggles that you know many of us are facing going in this t- this unprecedented time. And you know, it really gives us pause to reevaluate. You know, what is it that the Lord would want us to do with our lives? But the benefit of that, I think, is really that, you know, just like, you know, there's a plan of action that we typically take in our own work and our own day-to-day jobs, God actually has a plan of action for us that gives us assurance when times are uncertain. So calling can give us focus in fearful times, and calling can help us orient our hearts when, you know, we're really in a storm, and that's a benefit to us as children of God, really. And so critically important at this juncture because, you know, a lot of people are working under highly modified work circumstances, myself included, sitting here <laughs> joining you on the program through my home studio. I'm lucky I have one, but I'd really rather do radio from a radio station than a bedroom. <laughs> that said, um, the importance of calling that kind of roots you, grounds you in a sense, and I think perhaps will allow you that it gives the individual who understands their calling maybe a greater sense of purpose and therefore added capacity to sort of, uh, how do we say, soldier on through difficult times, unlike the person who's just kind of doing what they're doing because it provides a paycheck. That's absolutely right. You know, I think oftentimes when we think of calling, we think of this kind of Moses moment or this mountaintop moment when everything gets downloaded to us, then from there we get this kind of great sense of, you know, all right, well, this is these are my marching orders and this is where I should go. You know, the benefit really is, you know, once we're in Christ, um, all of those things kind of come together. We're called from that position onward. The key really is to unlock and to kind of find that fulfillment regardless of the season that we're in. But Jesus actually is the one who gave us kind of this precedent and this kind of standard. Um, I'll go into all the details, but like Luke in chapter 4, verses 17 through 20, he kind of lays out this big thing about 
what he is called to do, and the five different things. We call them the five fruits of calling. And when we apply those five things, we find that we're in lockstep with what God is doing on the earth, regardless of the season that we're in. And I think what's the important distinction here, unlike the the person who just shows up at a job, could be any job, could change tomorrow, they don't really care, it's just a paycheck. Uh, we differentiate between that kind of scenario and a person who is in a position that has a sense of purpose, and that purpose, of course, leads to impact. And in the book, and unfortunately we don't have near enough time to, to really dive into this, but good reason for folks to uh, go out and uh, pick up a copy of Calling, Awaken to the Purpose of Your Work, or um, even easier still, order it online. But talk to us a bit, if you would, for a moment, about this sense of, of purpose and how all of that really ties into... Um, as you talk in the book, the same purpose that Jesus had. Now, ultimately, he came to, 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 to seek and to save. But during the course of his ministry on earth, there were a number of key points that he was engaged in that, quite frankly, are not all that different from the, one, the job he left us. That's absolutely right. You know, in the book, we talk about the fact that work is not a job. It's actually an attitude towards a job. It's a spiritual posture we take towards any kind of scenario that we're in. And, you know, Jesus said, I'm here to do five things, guys. He says, I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor. I'm here to proclaim liberty to the captives. I'm here to bring recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, and I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And all of those things we take as little Christ into the world with us. And you mentioned purpose, and that's so important. You know, our purpose is to know and to be known by God. Uh, we find fulfillment in that purpose when we participate with God in these day-to-day things. So, you know, many of us may feel like captives right now, having to work from home and not being able to leave. And I, I think mental health is one of those things that a lot of folks struggle with. Well, we can bring the love of Christ into those situations uh, and help people feel, you know, like they're part of a community and we can share the love of God with them in ways that, you know, are, are truly unique. And so the, that's the great thing about what Christ has come to do and how, what it looks like in our work is that it's applicable regardless of the scenario we find ourselves in. So fulfillment in our work really comes from bringing relationship with God you know, into, into our work. And, and what's so beautiful about what you've just laid out is the notion that one of the key purposes or, or, or driving factors behind Christ's ministry on earth, to proclaim the good news, bring liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberate those that are oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, that's very much like the laundry list that he gave us. Now we could distill that into, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Um, and, and certainly that process includes proclaiming the good news to the poor, proclaiming liberty to the captives, bringing recovery of sight to the blind. And, and you know, I, I guess in this day and age, that, that's bringing comfort to those that are sick liberating those who are oppressed and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And, um, you know, right now it might be difficult to see God's favor in all of this, but God is at play in all of this, and he can glorify himself through all of this. And in order to accomplish that, um, you know, God wants to use us, his vessels, as his vehicle to impact the world around us. And I guess at the end of the day, um, even if you're the guy that's flipping hamburgers 
at uh, the local fast food joint. Well, they may not do much of that these days, but when you do that again, up to and including the person who has a, a position preaching from behind the pulpit, all of it has purpose and all of it can and should have impact. Absolutely. I had a friend here recently. He's working uh, at, a, at a burger flipping joint. And he goes, Pierce, I, have, I don't know how I'm supposed to find God in all of this. I never thought I'd see myself in this situation. I said, you know, John, I'll call him John. I said, John, I said, how many people do you see on any given morning? He said, I don't know, 75 to 100 during rough shower. This 75 to 100 opportunities to minister to folks that you had never even considered before with these five things. That's more opportunity than a pastor of a megachurch has in an hour during the middle of the week. You've got great opportunities. So part of it is a shift in focus, and part of it is realizing that God is more than willing to work with us regardless of where we find ourselves in our work, and that's really the joy and the comfort of working alongside the Almighty. And you know, what's so amazing about what you just said, Pierce, uh, it, it, it draws in my mind the picture, as your friend said, you know, how, how can I find God in all of this? Um, think and ponder for a moment that maybe what God has called us to do, maybe this, this moment in time, this job that he's given you, is not a question of necessarily, uh, first and foremost, you finding God there, but that people find God through you. If you are the one that is there to be the beacon, to be the representative, to be that vessel used as his vehicle, and people can find God in you in wherever you're planted, then his good will, his purpose indeed has been accomplished. And in and through that, you can discover your calling. The book is called Calling. Awaken to the Purpose of Your Work, newly published by David Cook Press. You'll find it at um, Amazon.com and certainly through Pierce's website at Pierce Brantley, B-R-A-N-T-L-E-Y, PierceBrantley.co. Pierce, thanks so much for the time. We're at 6 o'clock from KFAX San Francisco. We're going to have you a look at traffic right next. Then coming up, Pat Chen will join us with some perspectives on the National Day of Prayer. And then stay tuned. We've got a number of Bay Area pastors that will join us and lead all of us collectively in a word of prayer on this National Day of Prayer. Now from the KFAX Traffic Center, here's the latest.